Welcome to the Technology Trailblazers podcast, where we explore new ways to unlock business potential with unprecedented technological innovation. Hi there, I'm your host, Derek Little, and this is the podcast for companies of all sizes wanting to digitally transform their business with the latest technology. In this podcast, I was honored to speak with Tori Bjorklund, CEO of Victoria Fide Consulting a company that specializes in digital transformation readiness and implementation. Tori's firm provides leadership with IT alignment and road mapping, as well as consulting, project execution, and training. As a former CEO, CTO, CIO, and Chief Software Architect, and with over 30 years of experience and 200 digital transformations with ERP systems, Tori recognized there are too many failures in the digital transformation space. He found that preparedness is the number one determining factor for success with technology initiatives. Because he was tired of seeing so many companies struggle and fail to implement, he partnered with two of the best solution architects he could find to form Victoriafied. In this episode, Tori describes the three biggest digital transformation mistakes companies can avoid with proper preparation and his four-step process for getting it right. He began by sharing his point of view on what digital transformation really means. Well, and that's a really great question because it's used a lot and that term is thrown around a lot. And in fact, like if you look up on a Gartner IT glossary, you know, their definition ends up saying the term is widely used in public sector organizations to refer to modest initiatives such as putting services online or legacy modernization. So that's from our view, not really digital transformation. Um, uh, Jorge Lopez from Gartner Group says um, that the process of exploiting digital technologies and supporting capabilities to create a robust new business model. So some people say it has to be a new business model or it's not transformation. But I basically our approach is we say the important aspect is that it should be transformational to the business. So not simply modest initiatives um, or bringing some kind of incremental change, but you know, because modest initiatives and incremental change don't really require much effort and they're far less risky. But we use the phrase transformational technology initiative. So just to be clear about what we mean. So and we define that as the utilization of technology to bring positive transformational change to the enterprise. So that's basically our idea of it any kind of use of technology that actually brings a significant transformation to the organization. That could be uh, sales automation, you know, sometimes called CRM. That could be an implementation of an ERP, ERP system. It could be from a manufacturing perspective, it could just simply be the implementation of a new uh, quality uh, uh, program. I actually was involved in a, in a uh, initiative with uh, Case IH that really transformed the way that they inspected the tractors as they were coming off the line. And uh, that was a, a digital transformation. And we use digital technology to do that. So do you have an overall digital transformation process? So basically any significant project has three basic phases. You prepare, execute, and sustain are the terms that we use to define those phases. And it doesn't really matter whether it's a construction project or a work of art. My, my wife is an artist. And, and th there's those same three phases. Now, you know, what's involved in those phases is kind of different for different types of projects. But generally speaking, 
Um, we all understand what the concept of preparation and execution is on a project. Usually when we talk about sustaining, people are like, what do you mean by that? The concept of sustain, you know, kind of causes people to wonder what we mean. And so let me put it this way. If transformation involves significant change, and if you plan to execute on that change, um, we all know that there's going to be some organizational and operational form of entropy where everything's going to kind of naturally try to drift back to the way things were. And so the point of digital transformation and the third phase of that, that sustaining the transformation, is to be very purposeful about making sure that you uh, sustain the gains that the transformation brought into the enterprise. And so oftentimes that third part is kind of left out. And, and frankly, the first part's left out and people just focus on execution. So sometimes I'll use the term assimilation to kind of describe that, that last phase. Um, so assimilation is, means the process of taking in, absorbing, or using and understanding something. And so assimilating transformational change is the process of making the changes really part of an integral part of the business. And so I call that transformational assimilation. And it's really the holy grail. If you read, you know, books on digital transformation and things like that, you know, change is really only sustainable if it becomes a part of the DNA of your company. So, you know, transformational change occurs when the old way is replaced by the new way. But transformational assimilation occurs when the new way becomes our way. So that's kind of that third phase that people don't realize is really part of a, a, a necessary part of a transformational uh, digital transformation project. I like the way you break it down. I've worked with clients before, one client in particular that specialized in uh, Salesforce implementations, and they actually would go in and clean up the mess a few yeah. years after someone else had implemented. Yeah. <laughs> they call it recovery implementation. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, and and they said, you know, it just was done done wrong from the beginning. So that that makes me think, yeah. like you said, you've got this prepare stage. So is this where most companies are at risk of going off track down the road? Yeah, it, it really is. In my experience, preparedness is the number one determining factor for success with transformational technology initiatives. So, you know, and it's really surprising to me how often pretty significant projects are undertaken without proper preparation. And unfortunately, when it comes to technology initiatives, the primary focus is on execute. And, you know, you've been around the industry enough, you, you know that there's really an entire industry that's grown up around the execution of IT initiatives. But still, really, uh, 2020 Standish Group shows that about 31% of those initiatives succeed. So, I mean, that's okay if you're if that's a batting average, but you know, if you're spending millions of dollars and, and affecting the business in a significant way, I really want a better uh, you know, uh, success rate than that than you know, 31%. So at some point we need to realize perfect execution of a poor plan will still fail to obtain the desired outcome. And that's what we're really seeing. Um, so several years ago, I sat down and analyzed my 30 plus years of experience to see if I could determine if there were some common factors 
that seem to make the difference between success and failure. And, you know, as you can imagine, there's more than one factor, but really the, the probably the largest is proper preparation. So I broke the preparation activities into four different areas that I, I call discover, define, build, and enable. Um, but, you know, that you, you really have to check all the boxes in those areas to be properly prepared. Um, and I was mentioning that uh, I was uh, previously working with a uh, Microsoft partner and, you know, they would uh, get involved in an implementation. The first things, you know, milestone, the first milestone on a project plan, which was, you know, like three days into after the you know start of this project was the kickoff. And it just occurred to me that we haven't done enough work to be able to kick off a project this major. Um, and, you know, you're, you bring everybody together. And if you're going to talk about, you know, project governance and things like that, I mean, you just and vision and so forth, you, you really don't even have a feel for what that should be and what you should be talking about. Um, and the client, you know, doesn't doesn't really have that as well. So, um, you know, I you really need to go through all of these discover, define, build and enable before you're really able to start with execution. I would imagine that a lot of companies, they don't go through a lot of implementations, maybe, and they, they really don't know. And if right. some software company wants to come in and hurry up and make a sale, how would they know? You know, yeah. someone doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've got a business run. They're not, they're not supposed to be experts on this stuff. And, they, you know, and they have IT people and so forth, and many of which have been in implementations. But a lot of times, you know, their expertise is in infrastructure and servers and cloud and, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff and, and implementing you know, digital transformation within the if within the enterprise is it, it, it's a special set of of uh, uh, skills that you really need to have. So, okay, can we um, do, do you want to drill yeah. down a little bit on those four steps then? Sure. Starting with discover. Yeah. Why don't we do that? So let's start with discover. Yeah, that's that's really the beginning. Now, you know, most IT projects begin with the phase that they refer to as discovery. So sometimes, you know, I I, I wished I could come up with a better word than discover because it kind of misdirects people by what I mean with that. And I just haven't come up with anything better. So um, it's easy to be misdirected, but I'm not talking about requirements gathering or, um, you know, other kinds of discovery phase of an IT project. What I mean by discover is investigating and discovering the true opportunities within the organization. And there's a couple of things that's important about an opportunity. It needs to be something that's conducive to transformation. Um, and then you also meet, need to be discovering the aspects of the organization that are resistant to transformation. And, and then you need to have a really high level of certainty about, about what must change, what can change, and what obstacles need to be removed in order to accomplish or to allow that change. And, and that's really what the discovery is about. Um, I'll give an example of that. Um, we had a, a client, this is many years ago, actually, and they, you know, they came to us and said, we really got to get a handle on our inventory. And um, what it really turned out to be is, is that they really needed to get a handle on their forecasting and not on their inventory. And, and if we didn't go through that discovery phase, we would have had a massive you know, inventory automation project that would not have solved the problem. 
So it's really important to, to get into that uh, discover aspect early. And, and it's from that that you begin to build your roadmap for digital transformation. And that's what the define stage is about or step is about. So in as you're preparing, you know, you say, well, these are our opportunities. These are our necessities. You know, and with digital transformation, sometimes it's a necessity. Uh, I mean, w- with COVID and all of that, you know, a lot of companies said, holy cow, we, we are not prepared to have people working, you know, 100% of our workforce working from home. And, and that required instant digital transformation. Um, but, you know, once you've kind of found out what is what is necessary to change, what you really have to change in order to stay competitive or whatever, um, and what opportunities to, for improvement there are, opportunities for change, um, and even the things that are not easily changed, you can then begin to define the, um, uh, the vision for transformation. And, and in that step of buying, you know, what I tell people is, is, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the seven habits of highly effective people that uh, Stephen Covey put out many years ago. It's the step number two or habit number two is to begin with the end in mind. And it's really uh, imperative to define the end goal of all digital initiatives, both individually and collectively. And individually means for each particular transformation and then collectively is all of them combined. So the end goal needs to clearly articulate how the company will look and act once the planned initiatives are completed. And that's really what vision is, right? You have a vision for what something will look like and how it's gonna act as an organization. Um, once these initiatives are complete. But you don't want to only define the success criteria, which, I mean, it's important to define success criteria, but you really want to have a a vision for a business reaping the benefits of a successfully completed set of initiatives. So once you've found those opportunities and those necessities, you ask yourself, what is our business going to look like if we actually execute on these opportunities and take and and take the necessary steps that we need to. So really a definition should contain the following three vision components, an, an explanation of where each initiative fits in your priorities. So, you know, if, when you start doing this discovery, you end up with a pretty big list sometimes and you need to prioritize that list. You, you, you can't do it all. Um, so you need to figure out what your priorities are. And then the second thing you need to have in this definition is a project level view of the business benefit anticipated from each initiative, from the overall initiative and from initiative. And then the third thing is a clear definition of what success looks like. And so in our uh, example that I was using, you know, this company says, we got to get a handle on our inventory. Well, really, um, the, the, the overall priorities were... <laughs> we've got to lower our cost of our inventory. And, and then they started looking at, you know, what is the business benefit? What does it look like? Well, one thing was they had an entire warehouse just to hold their inventory, you know, not to mention the cost of, of, of buying all that inventory, you know, and basically non-performing assets sitting there in this warehouse. Um, and then what does a clear definition look like? They're like, we got to lower our inventory by 50%. So they had $6 million in inventory. They needed to get that down to $3 million of inventory is, is you know, what it clearly looked like to them. That's the kind of thing that a vision, you know, drives. You want to have those three components in that vision. 
I've got a lot of connections with people in IT departments, and they often tell me, you know, it seems like senior, the senior executives and the, 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 the C-level people are somewhat disconnected from what's really going on. So when you're putting yeah. together that vision, do you involve, you know, like the technical staff, the managers, and the C-level? We use a phrase we call business first. You, you, business is, you know, is, has to be the first thing. I mean, I, I, we just recently got, uh, completed an engagement of the discover process, actually, um, the discover step of our prepare process. And, and it's with a company that's on an antiquated ERP system. And basically, they had already had a new solution identified. You know, they'd gone through uh, uh, with, a, you know, these solution selection consultants and so forth. They had all of this stuff identified. They'd actually been two years into what was supposed to be uh, an 18-month implementation. They were $2.3 million into what was supposed to be a $1.7 million implementation. And they were being told it's going to be another two two years and another $3 million. And, and they brought us in and they're like, you know, what went wrong? And we said, what were you looking for from this implementation? And they said to upgrade because we had antiquated software that's no longer going to be supported. And I said, that's not a business decision. That's an IT decision. And so what are the business objectives here? And, and you know, because bottom line is they hadn't been on support for something like eight years. So, so what, they're not going to have support anymore. They haven't used it for eight years. What is the, what are the issues, you know? So when it really came down to it was then as they're implementing a new ERP system, they had no vision for actually defining the scope or anything like that. So I tell people, you know, yeah, you want to get IT involved. You want to get them involved as an advisory uh, perspective, but you want to look at this not as an IT project. You want to look at this as a business project. What does our business need? What are we trying to improve? Or what problems are we trying to solve from a business perspective? And then you can get IT involved in what are the solutions that are available and then use their expertise to make the right technical decisions and things like that. How many CIOs and CTOs have been fired over ERP implementations that have gone wrong? I, I you know, I, Oftentimes come in, I'd be brought in by new CIOs that were hired after a failed implementation. Um, you know, and in, in fact, if, if one company that several years ago, is, I think 15 years ago, um, it, the almost entire C-suite, you know, were either fired or resigned or whatever and because of a significantly failed implementation that really brought the company to their knees. So that's, you know, that's... <laughs> Unfortunate. Um, it really is their responsibility. They need to see it as a as a business issue and not a technical issue. Yeah, and you would think if things do go wrong, it's because you didn't put the time into creating the vision. Then the vision was wrong. If the vision is right. Then everything else is just yeah. execution, and you're right. just doing. Yeah, you know. Okay, so you got two more steps uh, in the prepare sure. stage. Yeah, build so the and enable. third step is build. Right. So if you've discovered your opportunities, if you've defined your vision, you need to build a team that can execute on that vision. And so knowing who to include on these kinds of projects is really more difficult than people often realize. You know, if you utilize your best people, for example, your, your existing business could suffer. Or you know, a lot of times what we see is people are, take their best people and they put them on the project, but expect them to do their regular job as well. So what they end up with is, 
either their business suffers, their day, their day job suffers, or they get burned out because really the implementation is like their second job and they spend all day on their regular job. So, um, so the other issue that people run into, sometimes the people in your business that know your business best really only know what has been done and have no knowledge of industry best practices or no vision for process improvement. Or, um, you know, if they, they know the existing system very, very well, they may be reluctant to implement a new system that might change things because they, you know, they're kind of the expert now, but, you know, they'll be like a fish out of water with a new system um, or insist that the new system has to work exactly like the previous system or something like that. And, and that leaves no room for improvement. Uh, another issue that people run into with building their team is sometimes they have people that really can add good value, um, but they're just simply not good collaborators. They don't know how to work with other people or they don't know how to translate their needs into requirements. Or they, I mean, there's just all kinds of issues like that. And in many cases, your best people just simply can't take their knowledge and make it useful to somebody that knows how to implement you know, and turn it into requirements. You know, a lot of cases, these implementation partners show up and they say, "What? you know, give us your requirements. And they're like, you know, we need it to work and it needs to do my job. And those aren't useful requirements, you know, but they don't know how to do anything other than that. So, you know, a lot of these issues can be addressed with training and coaching. Um, some can be addressed with bringing in, you know, skillful business analysts or something like that. Um, so it's really important to do a thorough assess, assessment of your team, uh, of team candidates, and then choose the right team. And remember that you can always bring in, uh, you know, contract workers, skilled contract workers. And sometimes what you want to do and, and, uh, is, you know, actually use those people from your business and bring in help for them on a temp basis or otherwise to, to backfill their day job and put them on the project. Sometimes you want them to keep doing their day job, bring in skilled analysts that know how to elicit the information from your subject matter experts and your business process owners. And sometimes you just need to provide a lot of training to those business process owners or, or subject matter experts. But it's important to get that assessment done. That's what the build is about, is building the proper team. And, and then the final one is enable. Um, if you, you, know, you get the right vision, you got the right team, and the, the final step of the preparation is to set the expectations and to remove any barriers that have been identified. Um, you know, you might need to, like I said, bring in somebody to help with your subject matter experts' day-to-day -day responsibilities so your project team can focus on the project, uh, you know, or backfill and those kinds of things. Um, you may need to provide project-related training, um, you know, such as how to be a subject matter expert, how to be a business process owner. A lot of times people have been really good at defining their processes, but not good at, at documenting them. And they don't really know how to communicate that or document that. And just getting some training on, on that sort of a thing. Um, you know, there should, all of this kind of stuff needs to be handled prior to a project kickoff so that the proper expectations can be communicated during that project kickoff. And of course, you know, project governance is a big thing. And, you know, there's a lot of material out there, you know, on the internet and otherwise about project governments. So I don't go into that a lot, but that's, that's something that needs to happen prior to the kickoff of a project that you've got all of that set up and what those expectations are. So that's part of that enable process. Well, I, I love your focus on the preparation um, and planning stage, because uh, I just heard many times that this is Oh, we should have done that. Oh, we didn't think of that. 
And that's where all the failure seems to come from. It really is. And, you know, when you bring in, a lot of times you bring in consultants um, and and I've been, I've been there um, and their role is to help you implement, you know, software X. So, you know, I said I was with a a Microsoft uh, Dynamics 365, you know, ERP implementation company and CRM and stuff like that. And they have experts that if you can clearly articulate what you want that system to do for you, man, they can make it do it. But <laughs> the biggest issue is clearly articulating that. That's, that's a difficult thing to do, determining if that really is the priority and you know, setting that scope, all of that kind of stuff, that really needs to be done before you bring these consultants in. They're, they're not prepared to help you make those decisions. They are expecting you to have those decisions made before they show up. Yeah. Okay, well, can you share a digital transformation journey that you guided a client through and how that turned out? Yeah, so so I've done over 200 ERP implementations. So I'm like thinking, oh boy, you know, what do I pull from? Uh, But I'm gonna go back to I think this was in the mid nineties, probably, but I mentioned earlier about a manufacturer that, you know, they, they simply couldn't get a handle on their inventory and their material requirements. So during the discover step, as I mentioned, we realized that they were focusing on managing their inventory and saying, we really got to manage our inventory, but they really had no process for forecasting their demand. And so once we helped them identify the opportunity to automate their forecasting, it, it, it really became a fairly easy process of applying just standard MRP principles um, and uh, to their purchasing process. And um, they were actually able to consolidate their inventory to you know, close an entire warehouse and save some significant money for the organization. So although their initial ask was to help them get a handle on their inventory, um, really the solution was getting a handle on their forecasting. So the vision that they came up with was to lower their inventory by 50%. And we, we greatly exceeded that objective. I think if I remember right, it was, it was close to 75%. That, so the, they took a big bite out of that. Um, but the solution was discovered during that initial discover step that we talked about. And in the enable step, um, we sent their subject matter expert and their business process uh, owner to uh, Apex training. And I don't know if you're familiar with the American Production and Inventory Control Society, and they do, you know, have over the years done really great training on, in these areas. And, and so they understood basic MRP principles um, after getting that training, and it really helped them implement the, the solution. Um, and it's kind of a funny story on that one. The, the, the subject matter expert, he, he was actually worked in the accounting department and was in charge of inventory, and he was really a numbers guy. And he, once he got into that training, he just really got into the MRP process. He really grabbed hold of that concept and he built spreadsheets to test out the concepts with real numbers. And he actually manually ran MRP using spreadsheets. I've never seen anybody be able to do that, but he actually ran their MRP using spreadsheets and proved to the business owners that they could lower their inventory by 50% because, um, you know, frankly, they weren't convinced that they could forecast, first of all, and they weren't convinced that that was the proper solution, et cetera. 
And, uh, and so he did this and he, and he proved it to him. And, and really their ROI on that implementation for an MRP system was enough to pay for it in, in less than a year. I mean, they just, they had the return on that in, in less than a year. The next question I was going to ask you was, what would you say, what would your advice be to an enterprise size company about to embark on a digital transformation? Like what, what would yeah. be the, yeah. the three biggest mistakes that they should avoid? First thing I would say is don't start with a solution. You know, a lot of times we get involved, people are saying we really need an ERP system or we really need a CRM system or we need, a, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, and, and they may, they may need that. But make sure you really clearly understand your challenges. And, you know, like I said, in my previous example, that manufacturing company really thought they had an inventory problem when, in fact, that was really just a symptom. And they had a forecasting problem that required them to keep large amounts of inventory on hand to respond to their incorrect assumptions about their demand. So don't start with a solution. Really clearly understand what your challenges are. And then basically make sure that you understand how the proposed solution will address those challenges. So when we proposed focusing on forecasting, yeah, frankly, the client pushed back a lot. You know, and first of all, you know, we've tried to forecast, we can't do it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's the right thing for them to do because they really had to make sure, and they were responsible for the solution, right? It's not our job to be responsible. Their job is to be responsible for the solution. We're here to help them be, you know, take that responsibility, but they had to make sure that the proposed solution will actually address the issue they're trying to address. At the end of the day, you know, our client wanted to lower their inventory and, and we needed to help them understand how a forecasting system would actually accomplish that. So, don't start with the solution. Make sure you understand your challenges. Make sure that 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 the proposed solution addresses those challenges. That's that's number one. <laughs> so yeah, for three, it sounds like three, but okay. I'm going to use that as one. The second thing I would say is um, make sure that save stay focused on solving the main thing. You know, during an implementation, there's just all kinds of temptation to you know make the extra effort to. Uh, have those nice to haves. I mean, again, going back to that example, if you're going to be forecasting your demand, well, you know, why don't we forecast our sales commissions while we're at it? That'll help us, you know, manage cash flow or something like that. Uh, but this can really open up all kinds of, you know, a, a can of worms, as they say. Um, so, in the, you know, and then the inventory people are asking for barcoding to improve their efficiencies and, and, and the list goes on and on, you know. So every decision needs to directly or indirectly help you meet the objectives for which you undertook this initiative in the first place. You know, that company needed to just keep asking, does this help us lower our inventory? If it doesn't, put it on a backlog for future consideration. There, there's plenty of opportunity to continue to improve. Um, don't take it on. You know, so really that scope management is really, really important. And the third thing, finally, I would say is iterate, iterate, iterate. So let me reiterate. <laughs> Do it iteratively. There are a lot of purists out there. They'll, they'll say, you know, oh, here's the pros and cons of different agile methodologies and all of that. It can be really overwhelming. But frankly, I don't care if you want to use a waterfall methodology as long as you do it iteratively. You know, I understand the benefits of the various agile methodologies from a software development perspective. But when it comes to transformational technology initiatives, um, the most important benefit of agile is the iterative nature of it. So, you know, there are very good ways to take an iterative approach 
uh, and implement small portions of a solution. In the software industry, we call MVP, you know, a minimal viable product so, and other product development, they call that as well. Um, you really, uh, you want to focus on getting the solution as small as you possibly can to get the most impact for the issues you're trying to address. And, you know, we do advise our clients to start with a roadmap, create a roadmap during that defined process. We, when we go through that discovery, you end up with a pretty big list of things you'd like to do and benefits and opportunities and things like that. But as you prioritize those, you build this roadmap and it helps you be able to see these other things and helps also people say, oh, well, that might come down the road. We don't have an opportunity for that later. And, and don't keep trying to throw it in this one giant initiative, um, but really keep that initiative as small as you possibly can and plan to iterate over improvements. But you know, with these transformations, you really need to see kind of the big picture so you can take them into account. Um, it's, you know, with software, you can refactor. It's pretty easy from an agile perspective to refactor your software to take into account new requirements. Uh, ERP implementation, not so much. So, you know, you do want to kind of have that big picture, but you need to find those specific areas that you can focus on, get a solution in place, and um, prioritize those and take those future iterations into account, but make sure that you're you know, delivering value early and often. And don't try to, you know, as they say, boil the entire ocean um, with one, you know, big bang implementation. So those are the three things that, that, that I would say, make sure you know what your issues are and that your solution is actually going to address those issues. Make sure you stay focused on the main thing and make sure that you iterate, take it in small chunks, get, get some success, build momentum, and then sustain that momentum. And that's part of what our sustained phase is all about. Is Okay, well, we're coming to the end of the podcast tour. If uh, one yeah. of my listeners wants to reach out to you and learn more about Victoria Fine, where can they find you online and, and how can they reach you? Yeah, so um, our website is victoriafied.com. Oh, by um, the way, by the way, sorry to interrupt. What does that stand for, Victoria Fied? Yeah, so Victoria Fight is Latin for success assurance. And when we were planning for this business, I kept, I kept, we didn't have a name for it. I always just referred to it as Success Assurance Corporation. And my partners are like, that's not a good name. It sounds like an insurance company or something like that. And uh, so one of my partners came up with uh, the, uh, he put Success Assurance in Google and translated it to Latin and it came out Victoria Fied. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can search for me, Tori Bjorkland. It's kind of hard to spell. Um, yeah, T-O-R-Y is the Tori and Bjorkland, B-J-O-R-K-L-U-N-D. Victoria Fight is on, on LinkedIn as well. And you know, and then our website, like I said, victoriafight.com. Okay. Thanks for coming on the show, Tori. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'd like to present my marketing priority report. This is where I review the marketing needs of Victoria Fied Consulting based on my marketing priority survey that one of Tori's team members took. My survey covers my four cornerstones of startup growth, visibility, sales, customer value, and authority. The report for Victoria Fied revealed that their most important yet underserved marketing need is creating visibility, also known as brand awareness. This makes sense since their brand was only recently launched, so they probably have several visibility challenges, 
These might include not knowing how visible they are, not having a system for creating and maintaining visibility, not knowing what messages they should be sending, not being able to motivate their target audience to take action, and their product not being remembered when it's most needed. I suggest they consider implementing a comprehensive visibility solution, one that builds their brand, creates demand, and balances strategy and content with distribution. For strategy, I'd advise them to start by developing a messaging framework. This would give them a narrative structure for developing thought leadership content. For content, I suggest they start by creating a single core asset, like an educational webinar. This could cover the situation their prospects are in, their problems, answers to their questions, and include charts and graphs that explain Victorified's unique value proposition. Their webinar could then be broken down into a series of smaller videos that cover the entire buyer's journey. Each could have its own introduction, topic, call to action, and cover image. For distribution, I suggest they run sponsored videos on LinkedIn. These would increase their visibility in front of their target markets, and they could do this on an ongoing basis within their budget. To get the best return on investment, they should optimize their campaign by tracking video views, pausing underperforming campaigns, and reallocating their resources to their best performing videos. They could also post their video series on YouTube and integrate some SEO keywords to generate more leads. Then potential customers could consume the right content for their buying stage. The goal of these two strategies would ideally be to move prospects into a regular newsletter subscription so Victorified could provide ongoing advice to prospects and be remembered when they're ready to buy. For more visibility, they can re-record their original webinar but customize the content for niche industries. And they could also customize it for C-level decision makers or others in the buying committee. These webinars could also be broken down in short videos and added to their advertising mix and also tested for performance. In the future, Victoriafied members could try other tactics for increasing their visibility and authority. They could get interviewed on other podcast shows like mine. They could also create their own podcast and interview decision makers like I do, and then they could integrate this podcast content into their newsletter. They'd be creating shareable content, gathering market research, and building future customer relationships all at once. And depending on how far they want to take their marketing, they could eventually create a community such as a LinkedIn group and possibly run live feed social media events to generate more leads. So to summarize my recommendations, I suggest Tori and his team start by creating a single carefully planned webinar Repurpose this into smaller videos and advertise them on LinkedIn and YouTube to create visibility. By continually making themselves visible to their target markets, they'll be reaching new potential customers and could generate a lead at any time. Since 99% of their prospects won't be ready to buy, they can use a newsletter to maintain top-of-mind awareness. Since Victoria Fight is a small consulting firm, I suggest they start with a small, affordable marketing campaign they can build on. I advertise my own company on LinkedIn, so I think it's a solid investment. But you need to have good relevant content and present it to a targeted and motivated audience. And you must continually test and improve your campaigns. So that's my point of view on how Victorified Consulting can handle their marketing priorities based on their responses to my marketing priority report. 
Thanks for listening to the Technology Trailblazers Club podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Derek Little, founder of trailblazerwriting.com. My company provides complete marketing solutions for technology startups and consultants. This includes hourly coaching and consulting on marketing strategy, developing webinars, eBooks, videos, podcasts, and newsletters, creating YouTube channels and LinkedIn groups, and planning and managing LinkedIn advertising campaigns. You can get your own free marketing priority report or get more information about my services by visiting trailblazerwriting.com or contact me directly at derek at trailblazerwriting.com.